This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. The concerns by the current White House administration over China and its uh, violations on intellectual property have taken the next step. The Commerce Department recently imposed a seven-year ban from selling parts to Chinese smartphone maker ZTE after they pled guilty to breaking export rules in selling equipment with U.S. components to Iran. That means that companies like Qualcomm, Neophonetics, and others will lose out on delivering about $1.5 billion worth of equipment to ZTE. And this is the second time that a ban has been placed on that Chinese company. Two years ago, when a ban was put in place, it was quickly lifted. To d- discuss this move and others going on, we are joined in studio by Marshall Meyer, who is an emeritus professor of management here at the Wharton School, Minwan Zhao, who is an associate professor of management here at Wharton, and joining us on the phone, Richard Dasher, director of the U.S. Asia Technology Management Center here at Stanford University. Uh, and Minwan, you gave me a little bit of information as we came into the studio, not only is it is it ZTE, uh, but it is also uh, another imp- company being impacted as well. Yeah, the news just came out that uh, the Department of Justice is going to probe into Huawei, uh, a much larger China counterpart, uh, is basically competing in the same area as ZTE. And it came as no surprise as... The investigation into ZTE revealed a lot of traces to Huawei, and there's suspicion that Huawei is doing the same thing. So, I mean, take us further. Uh, how much, how close of a partnership do ZTE and Huawei have? I don't think they are partners. You okay. can say they're competitors on okay. the global market. Um, ZTE has more of a state-owned enterprise flavor to it, and uh, Huawei is pretty much private, although you know, from the Western point of view, they're both Chinese. As a result, they are linked to the government. Um, so they're, they're mostly competitors. Uh, uh, there are rumors that I saw, and again, I, I have no way to verify that, that when uh, the documents from ZTE were seized by uh, the Department of Justice, they were, there were mentionings of Huawei's behavior. So um, this is basically the needle drop. So, Richard, you hear that latest news uh, teamed up with, with uh, what we know about ZTE. Um, what's been your reaction to all of this? Well, I think that in some ways the ZTE action was something that was going to happen. Uh, this is really, it's been a long time coming. Uh, they first uh, were able to uh, announce publicly that they had found, the, the U.S. Department of Commerce announced back in 2012 that ZTE had exported uh, telecom equipment to Iran in violation of American export controls. And uh, so this has been going on really for a long time. And the uh, 2016 finding led to a uh, one-year kind of probationary period. And the reason the U.S. made this uh, announcement of the ban on any kind of export activity by a U.S. company or involving a company that does business in the United States with ZTE is uh, really because of continued misleading statements and cover-ups and what the U.S. says are, are, you know, out-and-out falsifications of data to uh, the U.S. investigators. So this was a long time happening with ZTE, but as Professor Zhao mentions, it's really in context that you need to see what's happening. Uh, you know, the uh, 
situation with Huawei, Huawei's been under investigation for a long time. Uh, they're already only selling smartphones in the U.S. They're not able to sell other telecom equipment in the United States. And, um, you know, the U.S. is also investigating dumping on uh, of aluminum foil and uh, large diameter welded pipe. So uh, the U.S. is really cracking down. And in some ways this is not too surprising, but um, it will have an impact on American industry. Marshall? Thanks. Um, I've got a slightly different uh, take on this. Um, you can see the smile on my face. Um, um, uh, quite frankly, rarely do I stand up and cheer this administration in Washington. However, um, uh, uh, the concern has been that uh, we've been using tariffs uh, to, or the threat of tariffs, uh, to conduct our diplomacy with the Chinese over trade uh -huh. and IP issues. And, you know, tariffs are kind of like dirty bombs. You throw them somewhere, and there are all kinds of consequences, there are all kinds of collateral damage. And at the end, it's not clear that anyone's better off by doing this. The action against ZTE is like a precise munition. Uh, a really smart bomb. And here's why. Look at ZTE's position uh, in the global smartphone industry. They're barely a player. I'll give you some numbers here. These are approximate. I wouldn't try to defend them in a peer review process. Right. Had to jet them together real quickly last night. Biggest player in the industry globally, Samsung. You know, 22, 23%. Uh, next is Apple. Uh, next is Huawei. Uh, and then there are three other Chinese players uh, Oppo, Vivo, uh, Xiaomi, 6%, uh, 6%, 4 to 5% globally, roughly. Where is ZTE globally? 2%, 3%. They're not a big player globally. Now, what does the Chinese market look like? It turns out that of the, the big five in China do not include Samsung, and they don't include Interestingly, ZTE. ZTE has, again, got about 2% of the Chinese market. Where is their big market? The U.S. They've actually got about 12% or had 12% of the U.S. smartphone market. It was their biggest market, huh. 20 million units a year. So when you see them violating the agreement not to do business with Iran, possibly North Korea, and you see also that they're dependent on the U.S. market. I mean, that's like shooting a precision-guided missile with big impact because it could take out the company. And what's so interesting is you bury in and dig in and you look at some of the SASEC reports in China. They're critical of ZT. You say, what are these folks doing? Uh, here's a quote in English from uh, SASEC, State Assets Commission. Stupid and passive. Um, many domestic enterprises are paying a terrible price for ZTE's short-sightedness. So um, uh, a tip of the hat, if you want to take issue with China, this is the way to do it. Minwan? So I agree this is a precision attack. Um, I, I want to uh, talk about two things. One is, like uh, Marshall said, this is really a soul-searching process in China. And all the way from the authority to the public on social media, mm -hmm. everyone was talking about this. And I'm glad to see that this is not a just anti-America rhetoric. You know, this time, 
interestingly, nobody said, oh, the evil Americans are attacking our company and let's go against them, boy- boycott their products. None of that. You know, most of the discussion was like, how can we be so stupid? And how can we, you know, we're so used to, you know, walking on the borderline and yeah. operating in the gray area, time to get out of it, time, time to grow up, time to be an adult in the international scene. So there's a lot of discussion on, you know, how to get out of those area which is tolerable when you're a little kid, but when you grow up, you, you got to follow the rules and you got to be more transparent. So, you know, I, I uh, certainly commend this kind of soul search. And um, on the other hand, there is also the, the perception that the U.S. is against China and all, is particularly ZTE and Huawei for the 5G uh, network. Yeah. So these are not ju- these are not big players in cell phone, but they're huge players in telecommunication equipment, and they're selling a lot in Europe, in Middle East. Um, so you know the kind of global configuration of the 5G network championed by Chinese company is considered a strategic threat, and that has legitimized you know a lot of well that has been used as. The explanation why all of a sudden all these yeah. precision attacks happen. Well, Richard, part of the focus here in the United States has obviously been about the suppliers to ZTE, companies like Qualcomm, uh, and the impact that they are uh, going to economically feel. Now, for Qualcomm, they are you know such a, a big company to begin with. Uh, this will hurt them, but I don't think it will damage them. For some of the other suppliers, uh, some of the stories that have been written in the last you know 48 hours or so have talked about how the impact could be devastating for some of these entities, smaller companies in the tech sector right now. Well, that's true, but you also have to assume that someone will take the place of ZTE in uh, some of these worldwide telecom equipment deals. Uh, I think that on the short term, the company that's really in danger is ZTE itself. It may not survive uh, if it's really shut out of using any kind of U.S. component or U.S. software. Microsoft is also a supplier to ZTE. Or uh, U.S. kind of, you know, knowledge in uh, doing its worldwide business. So ZTE is, is really in deep trouble. Uh, the U.S. suppliers will have a, will have a short-term, you know, negative impact. Mm-hmm. Over the long term, what I think is going to happen is China's developing its own infrastructure industry and essentially tearing the worldwide supply chain that has led to rapid development really all across the world's telecom networks into two. You'll have the uh, China side and you'll have the U.S. side. And where the rest of the world lines up is going to make a uh, big difference in terms of what American industry can do. Marshall? Uh, uh, that description, China side, U.S. side, uh, may not be complete. Uh, ZTE pulls out of the U.S. Huawei's already announced they're pulling out of the yeah. U.S. And they've been uh, refused now by AT&T, I think by Verizon as well. So what we're left with in the U.S. is one U.S. player called Apple plus Samsung plus maybe LG. So it's U.S. Korea versus China. Right. And after the politics settle in Korea, hopefully peacefully, where will Korea be? Myanmar? Well, I think the biggest impact is not on individual companies, but also but on the global supply chain. So in the past 30 plus years, companies have been, you know, 
making strategic plans, assuming that this is a reliable global supply chain, you know, there will not be major disruption to it, so we can decide where to focus on, uh, assuming we can rely on the rest of the world for the, the other complementary components. If this kind of assumption is disrupted, then every country is going to develop the key components, when companies make decisions, they have to hedge their risk. How if we cannot get the critical components? How if we cannot reach the customers? So um, it may be subtle, but I think the impact will be large in the long run, how every single player in the global scene is going to calculate differently because the assumption that we can rely on the global supply chain is wrong. When you look at, at, at this sector specifically in terms of what China has and what, what it doesn't have right now, mm-hmm. how much build out did they, would they have to do to, be, to become basically their own supplier at this point and not have to rely on, on the Qualcomm's and, and the Microsoft's of the world? China has a long way to go. So um, interestingly, a few months ago, China rolled out in very high profile the uh, the movie called Amazing China. Yeah. And it, it's interesting, like everybody in China has to watch the TV and it got uh, watch the movie and it got like 1.0 out of 10 on IMDb. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, there's a lot of national pride. And the moment the ZTE um, issue came out, like the whole confidence collapsed. People realize how big the gap is. And it's not that because, as I said, it's a global supply chain. It's a system, right? So you cannot just, let's develop this little piece. But this little piece is not going to be compatible with the software, the Microsoft software you've been using. And if Microsoft cannot provide the software, what's the point of developing your hardware? So you have to develop the whole system. And that's going to take a long time. And the estimate is that even if you, you know, pull the resource in to develop the system, it's not going to be as efficient as the existing ones the global companies have, and you're going to lose on in competition anyway. So there is a fear that, you know, uh, if China is really determined to develop, we're going to see the next great leap forward. And we know how the great leap forward and, yeah. ended. Richard? I think that's a, a very good kind of concern. Uh, I think that uh, really the inside of something like a cell phone is so complicated. Inside a typical Apple phone, I think, is at least eight or nine different countries' final products. And those final products, those chips and the system board, were all put together with uh, technologies from an even broader set of regions. So we've depended on this. I think that... um, It's also important to remember that U.S. export controls apply to any country that does business with the United States. So the suppliers in South Korea that do business with the U.S. now should not be selling to ZTE. Uh, The U.S. US firms that are directly impacted will uh, make other kind of arrangements, but... I definitely see a long-term kind of movement toward isolationism inside China now, as well as uh, in the United States, uh, trying to, uh, you know, move things away from the world market. I think that will be damaging to everybody. But again, as we started out this hour, really, this was something that could not be avoided. I think that if you have export control regulations and someone is as flagrantly violating them as ZTE was, uh, something has to be done. So then what, what does this mean for Huawei then? 
Well, it's going to be huge. Huawei derives more than 60% of the revenue from overseas. And so, and a lot of the critical components, again, yeah. are from overseas. Um, I, I want to quickly add on the, uh, the previous comment about, you know, this is inevitable. Um, I recently talked with uh, several stra- strategy consultants in Iran and who are doing business in Iran. And in obviously, you can see all kinds of products in Iran, right? Despite the sanction, despite all the export restrictions, somehow you can get mostly the global supply. You in can Iran. find a Coke in Iran yeah, these days. So yeah. In it's there. Ha- I agree. And I uh, again, I um, echo the the general Chinese philosophy, uh, Chinese uh, sentiment that we need to grow up and we need to learn how to abide by the rules. But on the other hand, there's also the sarcastic view. Okay, obviously, other countries are doing the same, and the fact that you choose this moment to have this um, attack is obviously related to. Um, at least from the public view, is related to the trade war escalation. So how would that affect the relationship in the long run? So, uh, yeah, I agree. It's inevitable. But whether this is an isolated event or not. Marshall? I I think uh, Huawei's in a very different position from ZTE. Um, They have, again, a huge domestic share, uh, a huge international share that's growing, and they may be the furthest along in developing proprietary technology. Right. Right. And people in China I talk to say it's not as good as Apple, but it's as good as Samsung, maybe even mm-hmm. a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So it's entirely plausible that what Richard described, the separation, this isolation occurs – uh, and you have competing systems growing up in the world. I'm worried about our dependence on Korea a little bit. Uh, the consequence for the consumer, however, isn't good. Variety is down. Yeah. Prices are going to go up. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, it's not good for anybody in a pocketbook sense. It may be necessary it may not be. I can't judge for national security reasons. Right. So I totally agree with that on the cell phone side. So uh, Huawei has invested a tremendous amount of resources in developing their own chips for, for cell phones, so they're less reliable. But Huawei is still mainly a telecommunication equipment vendor. And uh, what happened is that for the equipment, a lot of them are specialized. And, you know, each equipment does not have a huge market like the cell phone. So it's not worthwhile for any company, any, you know, any parts of the world to have indigenous IP on everything, right? You know, you, right. you have a complex product, you sell all these specialized equipment everywhere in the world, and none right. of them, they add up to a large volume, but none of them justify the investment in every single com- component you have in, in the product. So I think it will still hurt Huawei's tech equipment business in a big way. Richard, the other parts of this story, which uh, we've kind of alluded to, and I wanted to touch on for a few minutes anyway, uh, is the issue of security. And, and seeing that is part of the concern that the the current administration has. Uh, it's something that we've talked about a lot on this show in terms of of having more of a recognition, whether it be our smartphones or digital, you know, whatever it might be, IP, uh, of being sure that all of these elements are protected. And seemingly, it feels like at least right now, this administration is going to take us down that road into an area where they they want to make sure that uh, a variety of elements are secure 
that are either coming out of the U.S. or maybe you know going from the U.S. to another country at this point? Yes, that's actually not a new concern in the U.S. That's always been uh, the situation. Uh, for years, the U.S. has really been worried about uh, critical uh, technologies reaching people that it would help them do bad things against the United States. What's different is that this is now driving the whole consideration, the economic considerations of trade. And I think that you need a balance between the two. You need a really favorable approach to world trade that is going to support the economic activities at the same time as you enforce the security side. Now we're seeing security kind of taking over, and the uh, good relationships that have been forged over the years for uh, on the trading side are all being questioned. Uh, and this applies really to our best allies as well as to companies, uh, countries that are uh, somewhat <laughs> less allied with our point of view. Now, I just want to add, I agree, the security has always been an issue, but it's not only national security, there's also economic security. Sure. Uh, so yeah. uh, the the 5G, and again, part of the soul searching in China is that we had such a high-profile rollout of 5G, which obviously is a threat to the established you know, uh, industry system in which Qualcomm plays the bigger role. So... Again, it's anyone's guess why the attack happened now, but obviously, you know, both security reasons as well as the economic concerns can but, be at play here. But I guess it also makes you wonder if if part of what we are seeing here now is going to be part of the conversation that Tim Cook is going to be having with President Trump, you know, elements of it right. about how this, this, this trade fight is going on with China right now, and obviously the impact that Apple sees coming out of out of Asia in general. Right. Well, I, I think it's, well, China has become more expensive as a place for manufacturing. So, you know, manufacturing is a less important part, but whether China, whether a Apple will lose the Chinese market, right. uh, because after all, that's another, you know, card that China has in its hand. We are not sure, but I'm glad to see that this time does not boycott, you know, arguments. People are not crying out, let's ban American uh, products. It's more about uh, about the competition between the two big nations and the kind of strategic struggle we have. Yeah. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, in studio with Marshall Meyer and Minwan Zhao of the Wharton School, and Richard Dasher of Stanford University, 844-942-7866, if you would like to join in uh, and give us a call or with a comment. I guess the the question to ask, Marshall, is in the grand goal, I think, would be to be able to establish fair trade both sides so that all sides benefit. The question is becoming... How, how far do we have to go down the road to be able to reach that point? Um, uh, quite a ways. But even before we get to fair trade, let's go back to this issue of security. Yeah. Um, when we're supplying uh, uh, components to a foreign firm, and that foreign firm has more than a toehold in the U.S. market, and that foreign firm is also supplying critical technology to people whom we're not on great terms with, like Iran, like today at least North Korea, Um, then there's a question of whether you take action and take action 
very, very strongly. And in this respect, uh, it's hard to gainsay what they did. Uh, when we get to issues of fair and free trade, that's a much longer slog because as, as even though China has at least pro forma helped with uh, its increased protection for IP, mm -hmm. um, it's still very, very difficult for U.S. businesses there. And I haven't seen the latest climate survey coming out of AmCham, but I doubt that U.S. business in China have seen a significant improvement in their ability to do business and most importantly, to protect their IP. So again, that's very long run. This is an immediate, very yeah. pressing issue. Mimon? I just want, since uh, Marshall mentioned IP, um, I think the U.S. should do whatever it can to protect IP. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. They also have to accept the fact that when you're the leader and somebody else is a follower, imitation in various shades and uh, uh, and color will, will sure. show up. Yeah. So I keep reminding people when when the UK had all the fancy machines in the Industrial Revolution, I was just revisiting the book uh, by Hamilton, the autobiography by Hamilton. Um, they have death penalty against anyone who dared to bring <laughs> any technology out of Britain. It's death penalty. So nobody, so there's uh, export Ban. You cannot smuggle on, out any component of the machine as well as the blueprint or any aspect at, at the threat of death penalty. Hamilton basically sent people, um, you know, young kids in as apprentice and after a couple of years bring back the technology. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it's more about the strategic play. In, is this important to set out the rules? Yes. Um, but are you surprised that somebody tried to work very hard to, um, I think, the bottom line is having like a lot of moral preaching does not help. Right. The kind of regulations, you know, strong enforcement, all that and all that, um, that's important. You know, if previously the Chinese were blaming the government for not getting enough technology in exchange for the market, and if it's fair um, agreement, if you want to access the market, this is the document you're going to share, you know, this is the thing you're going to share. It's the company's decision whether to take it or not. Well, if the Chinese take the technology uh, in violation of the agreement, that's a different story. So I think the, the principle, the regulation, um, the strategies in play is different from the moral preaching. And I didn't find the moral preaching very helpful. Marshall? So there are two takeaways. On the one hand, Imitation is the highest form of flattery, Yeah, and we should know that. On the other hand, um, when there are issues, particularly surrounding IP, and these issues have to be heard in China, at the very least, will the courts actually hear both sides of the argument? And there's some question as to that today. And I think those are the kinds of issues that have to be addressed. Richard, how do you see this all playing out in the weeks and months to come? I think that uh, you'll see the Chinese government starting to make more investments in semiconductor technology. You'll see the uh, basically the U.S. suppliers dealing with the situation. Uh, I think that over the long term, we really have to be careful that we keep world standards rather than going into some sort of regional factionalism. Great having you uh, with us today, Richard. Thank you very much for your time. 
Thank you. Thank you, as always. Minwan, great to see you. Marshall, as always, great to see you. Thank Thanks, you very Dan. much for coming mm-hmm. in. Marshall Meyer and Minwan Zhao of the Wharton School. Richard Dasher on the phone with us from Stanford University. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.